This is week number two in our 10-part series entitled Faith Fit. It's a spiritual workout journey through the book of James. Uh, as our wristbands remind us, get your faith moving. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 22, that's the theme verse of the book of James. We have uh, more wristbands. There's some right up here. Uh, as you exit over there to the side door, where the table has some. And the ministry hub has a big basket with lots of them. So we have a uh, wristband for you. It's, it's good. Reminds us, you know, don't just be hearers, be doers of God's Word. That's what the book of James is all about. He, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, was writing to mostly people who used to be in his church. James uh, became the uh, pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and then persecution came, Acts chapter 8, led by Paul, and it just continued on, and they scattered all over the Mediterranean. And now he's writing to them, and he's now reminding them of what they need to be reminded of. And he literally becomes their personal trainer. You're in this really hard season he teaches us in James how to work out our faith even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful. Now today, we're, we're going to look at training, and uh, when you do physical fitness training, here's the truth, proper form is necessary. So, so if you're going to do squats... It's great. I'm glad you're going you're gonna to exercise, but if you don't use proper form, Henry, we'll hurt ourselves, you know? We'll actually cause ourselves harm. There's danger if you don't work out the right way, which means don't, don't not work out because you might get hurt. Learn how to do it the right way. The same thing is true for us spiritually. We need to learn to work out spiritually the right way. And what is the right way? Here's what Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So spiritually, how do we learn what proper form and technique is? We learn to handle the word of truth. The Bible, God's instruction manual for our lives. Now, last week, we, uh, we looked at the first four verses, and we saw that spiritual workouts often involve trials. So the way that God puts us on His treadmill is He allows trials, difficulties, situations to come into our life and, and they test our faith. Tracking with me? And it says, verse 3, He allows trials into our lives so that we'll learn to persevere. So the Lord says, I'm going to get you on my treadmill through trials, and I'm going to get you through trials to learn you don't quit when it gets hard. I'm going to teach you perseverance. I'm going to teach you endurance because this world is tough. And the world says if it gets hard, just, just quit. 
just, just run for the exit, go another direction. And God's word says, no, no, I want you to learn how to keep on keeping on, verse 3. And that's what trials do in our lives. Secondly, verse 4, trials produce maturity. The Lord says, I don't want you staying as a spiritual baby or toddler. I want to grow you up and trials grow us up. Trials teach us to learn and grow and become mature. That's verse 4. Now today we're going to move on in James chapter 1 and we're going to look at some bad form in working out. There were some instructions that were being given and, and frankly they were not good instructions. It was bad teaching. It was bad theology. And now James is writing and he says, I know scattered church, you're under the gun, you're persecuted, you've run from all that you enjoyed here in Jerusalem, and I want to counter that bad teaching, that bad form in working out. And here's what James wants to say. I don't have much patience for those who are teaching that if you're a follower of Jesus, you can expect everything just to be wonderful always. You're, you're always going to have good health. You're always going to have lots of wealth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you should expect health and wealth and prosperity because that's what it means to follow Jesus. I just want you to know that was an error that James felt compelled to challenge in James. But I want you to understand it's still a problem today. It's, it's caught on and it's called the prosperity gospel. And they would teach that the way to measure God's favor is check your bank account. Check your IRA. Check how much stuff you've accumulated. And if you are faithful and have enough faith, then God will just load you up with blessings in the form of great health and lots of wealth. That's the prosperity gospel. The more wealth you have, the more God has blessed you. And then they would say, here's the other side of that coin. And if you're poor, you must not have enough faith. If you don't have much money in your wallet, then apparently God is not happy with you, and therefore uh, you're not doing it His way. Now, usually these false spiritual trainers say something like this. If you'll just give your very best gift, followed by Mike, uh, make it a hundred dollars, okay? Give a because we're good soil, and then they'll say, no, no, we're going to double down on that, Jim. Make it a thousand, okay? Uh, and uh, Henry, we'll we'll go big with you. You know, make it ten thousand dollars, okay? So you sow your good gift into this good soil, and if you're sick by giving, God will heal you of your sickness. That, that's exactly. And if you give your best gift, uh, Henry, then the Lord will give you a better job. And He'll give you a bigger house. And He'll give you a fatter wallet. Because God wants you to be rich and prosperous and healthy. That's, that's the teaching that many of the trainers were giving back here in James. And that, that poor teaching continues today. I, I'm telling you, 
If you if you watch much on TV uh, that's Christian, you're, you're going to hear it all over the place. The Lord wants you to be rich and prosperous and healthy. And if you're not, something's wrong with your faith. So we're going to take that that teaching and line it up with what? With God's book, the training manual for followers of Jesus Christ. So let's see how that teaching and that mindset compares with God's book, if you're able. Stand with me. James chapter 1, we'll start with verse 9, and we'll read out loud together down through verse 18. Ready? This is our training manual. This is our instruction manual for life. Read with me, please. Believers in the humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for not leaving us clueless about how to live here on planet Earth. Lord, there's lots of uh, voices yelling at us. There's lots of instruction. But Lord, we need your instruction manual. So I, I thank you for the owner's manual of life called Your Word, the Bible. Would you lead us and guide us, instruct us today as we dig into your inspired book? Give us listening ears and minds and hearts, we ask. Lord, I want to pray for those here today. Pray for those who are watching online, Lord, who are right in the middle of facing trials that seem overwhelming and confusing and painful and hard. Lord, thank you that your book tells us you know what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose, and you use even the hard stuff in each of our lives. You use the painful trials to grow us and get us to not quit and teach us to become more and more like your son, Jesus. So thank you, even for the hard times. And, and I pray for your blessing. I pray for your mindset as we face trials of different varieties. And uh, what I'm facing and what everyone, it's they're all different, Lord, but help us, Lord, to get 
your perspective on what trials and temptation is all about. Jesus, we invite you right now. You come and take charge today in your church. You be the king, the ruler, the owner today in your church. Guide us as we gather to worship with you. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice, James 1, verse 9. Believers, brothers, sisters, he's talking to people who are part of the family. Got it? He's talking to followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus in humble circumstances. You ought to take pride in your high position. And you read that and you go, what? what what's that about? I don't understand. Why? Should a brother or sister in Christ whose bank account is empty, why should a follower of Christ who's eating macaroni and cheese again, why should we take pride in that? Why, why should we recognize we're exalted when we're facing humble, difficult, trying circumstances like that? Are you ready? Here's why. Because those of us who know Jesus personally, if you've said yes to Jesus and what He did for us on the cross, said yes to Jesus and His shed blood for your sin problem and mine, said yes to Jesus for taking your place in the tomb, and said yes, Jesus, early Sunday morning you arose from the dead. For me, if you've said yes and received Him, this is for you. And here's what He said. Um, your position, your status in the kingdom of King Jesus, has nothing to do with wealth. Isn't that good to know? Your, your position has nothing to do with how many possessions you have. Our high position has everything to do with who we are because we belong to Jesus Christ. Do you understand? That's huge. It has nothing to do with our stuff, and it has everything to do that we are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I belong to Jesus. He belongs to me. I'm a part of His royal family. Some of you are thinking maybe that sounds a little too good to be true. So let's go elsewhere in the owner's manual where it's very clear. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what Peter writes, inspired by the Lord. But you are a chosen people. You know Jesus, He handpicked you. Did you know that? I want you on my team. I want you as a member of my family. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you declare the praises of Him, of Jesus, who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now here's the problem with verses like 1 Peter 2.9. They sound too good to be true, don't they? <laughs> you say, well, that, that doesn't feel like what I'm experiencing. I, I, I'm not sure I feel like I'm royalty. Okay, So we need to go to the instruction manual, and we need to say, Lord, help me to adjust my thinking, my feelings, my words to line up with your book. So if you're not feeling it, then you need to start acting it out and speaking it out and saying, Lord, Lord, help me to realize who I am in you. I 
am a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am royalty because of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just telling you, it's huge. I am royalty because of Jesus Christ. And, and we, we need to start saying stuff like that. So I'm thinking it, and I'm speaking it, and then I'm actually hearing myself declare it. I am royalty because of Jesus Christ. Why don't you say it with me? I am royalty because of Jesus Christ. I'm a part of his royal family, and so are you. If you've said yes, I believe, I receive. It's huge. The high position, go back to verse 9, that he's saying, you, you scattered followers of mine, uh, you, my friends used to be in the church where I pastored. I just want you to know, your position comes from who you are in Christ. It, it comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ. He continues on, verse 10. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Isn't that interesting? But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Everywhere in James, when he's talking to the rich, this is interesting, he doesn't call them brothers. He doesn't call them sisters. He's talking to those who are wealthy, lots of possessions, lots of money, but don't know Jesus personally. They don't have this relationship with Jesus Christ. So he's talking to the rich outside of Christ. But the rich take pride in your humiliation, since you're going to pass away like a wildflower. Verse 11, for the sun rises, scorching heat, withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauties destroyed in the same way. The rich will fade away even while they go about their business. You understand? He, he says, I, I know that you who are poor and it's not going well, you feel like you're nothing, but the real nothings in this world are the ones who think they're something, but they have no position in Christ. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They are the real nothings because they've spent their life accumulating stuff. And what's the truth? Get that picture up. Uh, we, you, you can't take it with you. Did you know that? You can't. No one ever has. No one ever will. How much do we leave behind? And the answer is everything. Everything. That, that's his point here. Verses 10 and 11. You're going to leave it all behind. So here's the choice. You can either invest in Christ's kingdom, bank it on ahead, or hold on tight to your stuff and one day you're gone. And you can't take it with us. Money is not what matters in God's kingdom. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, praise the Lord. Money is not what matters in God's economy. I got a picture here of our sister church in Derryville. And here's what I promise you. The poorest person here today, if you're in Derryville, you would be one of the most wealthy possessions-wise. Okay? You... I know some of you are thinking, you don't understand, I don't have much. They've got nothing. they got nothing. So the poorest person here, you would be one of the most wealthy, one of the richest people in all of Derivo.
But here's the point I'm making. But I promise you, their daily faith in Jesus Christ, they have to trust every day. Their worship of the Lord, they are some of the richest people I've ever met because their faith in Jesus Christ is so strong and so vibrant. That's the point he's making. These rich people, they, they think they've got it. And he said, no, really, the ones who are rich in their faith and are daily walking with Christ, that's where real riches is found. Verse 12, rich or poor, here's James' instruction on blessing. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, what's the test? The Lord's allowing these trials into our life. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. He's saying, if you'll not quit, if you'll not bail out of a difficult marriage, if you'll hang in there, even though the job is hard, you got a difficult relationship, and you hang in under the trial, the Lord says, I reward when you hang in there and you persevere and you learn not to quit and you grow and you mature. He says, I've got a paycheck for you who remain under the difficulty. And, and what is it? Look at it. It's called the crown of life. That's pretty cool. You know, so hang in there. You're here today and you're saying, man, this is hard. Yep. But the Lord is with you. And he'll enable you to endure, and you'll develop persevering, I won't quit muscles, and you'll grow up in Jesus Christ through those very same trials and tests. And you got the paycheck. It's, it's around the corner. I know it's hard. I know it's painful. Don't quit. James now turns a corner, verse 13. Now uh, he's, he's addressed this whole idea that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be wealthy and healthy. No, that's not what it is. It's who we are in Christ. And now he wants to address an issue that I'm sure many of his friends who've scattered are dealing with and is causing damage and it's hurting who they are in Christ because they're confusing testing and temptation. Two very different things. Verse 13. When tempted, when we're tempted, not if, but, okay, it's right there in the verse, verse 13. When tempted, not if, but no one should say God's tempted. For God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt. Who? Anyone. He's not into tempts. He's into tests. But here's what you need to know. Trials don't equal curses from God. That's where you can get it mixed up. You can think, well, I've got this trial, and therefore assume that the Lord's out to destroy you, and that would be wrong. That would be a lie. Because James 1, 1 1-12 has already told us, trials teach us and train us and grow us up. You understand? The Lord allows tests and trials to grow us up. But now you move beyond the tests and the trials, and now we're dealing with temptation. 
Okay? So he's saying you're going through hardship. You're battling temptation. You've got this struggling, besetting, entangling sin that you're dealing with. Verse 13, here's what you need to know. The Lord is cheering you on. He's on your team, and He's cheering you on, and He's for your good. He, he, he's cheering us on, and He doesn't want this tempt to destroy you. Matter of fact, He wants to use this trial and this test for your good. And, and if you'll just seek me and ask for strength and wisdom, I'll give you victory. Make sense? So you're battling temptation, but please know this, your temptation for evil, that's not from the Lord. It's from the other side, which would be our enemy, Satan, his demonic army. Uh, they want to use this same test to destroy you. They want to devour you. They want to kill you and wipe out your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. So here's the key idea, you ready? Jesus is out for your good and mine. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to know that. Verse 13, Jesus is out for your good. He wants you to grow up, walk with Him, learn to persevere, learn to mature, learn to get victory over the temptations of this world. And what does the other side, Satan and his demonic army and this fallen world system, what are they out? They're out to destroy and condemn and defeat and ruin your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here's the truth. We're going through tests. We're going through trials. And lots of us, when we're going through hard times like that, and, and we're tempted to quit, we're tempted to go towards sin, who do we blame? We don't blame the one that you get to blame. We blame Jesus. Jesus, why are you letting this happen? And a lot of times, the situation is, Satan is trying to destroy you, kill you, wipe you out, and yet Jesus gets the blame. And verse 13 says, no, no, uh, don't, don't blame him. Blame who should get the blame, the tempter, the deceiver, the one who wants to kill and destroy and wipe you out. Now he's going to move on. This is interesting. Because now I would expect we're going to get a little bit of spiritual warfare and fiery darts and like a little Ephesians chapter 6, put your armor on. Wouldn't you expect that right now? But that's not what he says. Move on with me. Uh, verse 14, uh, James says this. Who's, who's behind all of this temptation? What's the real major source of all of this tempting? You know, some of us would say, well, the the devil made me do it, right? Right? Verse 14, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Just pause for a moment. The chief culprit behind giving in to temptation is who? Point, point to who the chief culprit is. <laughs> it's me. We'd like to think, oh, my problem is with Satan and demons and this fallen system and this person and another. And, and James just says real clear, no, no, the guilty party when we sin, the majority guilty party is old, selfish, sinful, 
prone to wander, Jeff. Prone to wander, you. See, we want to blame, so it's it's it feels better. It, it's it's their fault. It's something outside, but the truth is, it's something inside. Now go back. I, I want you to see something. Verse fourteen. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away. That's a hunting term. Uh, a lot of hunting ancient times was setting traps. Got it? And you would bait the trap and try to get the animal to come, and you could catch it and kill it and eat it because you were cunning enough to bait the trap well. Make sense? Go back. Verse 14, that's the hunting term. Uh, when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That's a fishing term. Got any fishermen here today? Anybody? Fishermen? Women? I don't know how, what, what you got to say anymore. Anyway, uh, fisher person. Um, fishing term meaning uh, you have a bait, right? You got a hook. You got a bait. Go ahead and put that up there. Uh, and and now you are attracted to a glistening minnow, right, Mike? Or a juicy night crawler, or a spinning lure. And now the fish sees the bait, and now it comes and it bites. And what happens when it bites? It's now hooked. It's now trapped. Okay, so. That's the picture that he's using of our old sinful, selfish natures. I, I am hungry for something on the hook. So picture right now, what's the sin that you battle the most? Okay, I'll just give you a second. What sin is constantly reappearing in your life? Okay, And, and we would call this an entangling, besetting pet sin. You understand what I'm talking about? It's that one or two or three things that you don't seem to get victory over. Put that as your nightcrawler, your minnow, the spinning lure. And now you look at it, and now something about that sin, that temptation, appeals to our old, selfish, sinful nature. And then I start swimming towards the bait. And pretty soon I bite, and now I'm hooked, and consequences set in. What do you mean, consequences? Uh, Go to verse 15. Uh, Then you've bitten down, you've been enticed, you've been dragged away. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to... After you bite, after you... Bite on the bait, then the consequences roll in. And the consequences of sin have to do with the consequences of whatever the bait is. You understand that? It's always guilt and sorrow, loss of respect, loss of relationship, and always loss of the connection to Christ. Always. That's the first and the worst part of sin is our relationship to Christ with Christ gets brought down until we do the U-turn and confess. So you got consequences, and and now you're looking at it, and some of you are thinking, well, well, you don't understand. 
That, that minnow that I'm attracted to is really hard to resist, Pastor Jeff. You know, I love my night crawler, you know, and, and I think it's the greatest thing, and it's juicy, and, and when it appears in my mind, or when maybe a song goes off or a friend says, come on, let's go for an evening of night crawlers, you can't resist, right? And you, you got to go, and you know as soon as you say yes, you know where you're headed. So, so here is the critical thought. When I'm tempted, what do I do? Where do I go with it? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Carly's going to put it up there for us, tells us about this. It says, uh, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Pause. I'm the only one who struggles with this kind of lure. I'm the only person who's ever struggled with this kind of minnow and attracted. I'm the only person who wants to go and bite on this kind of night crawler. Wrong. <laughs> Every kind of temptation is common to mankind. So what we are tempted to move towards and bite down is the same kind of temptation that men have been and women have been tempted toward since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. Got it? And, and here's the truth. Now what am I going to do? Am I going to go and bite? Or here's the other option. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that good news? <laughs> the Lord says, no, I'll, I'll give you an answer. But when you're tempted, what do you do? You look to the Lord and say, where's my way out? <laughs> How can I endure this temptation? So here's the critical moment. Something appealing that you know is wrong in sin, it appears in your mind. For some reason, it, it appears in, in your heart. It's, it's there in front of your eyes. Uh, maybe the friend is saying, let's go do this. Now, now what do you do? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. Are you just going to move toward the bait and bite? Or will you ask the Lord to show you your way out? And, and here's the promise. If you'll take the time at that moment, this is the critical moment when you're moving towards that entangling, besetting sin. Are you just going to go and bite? Or will you say, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your insight here. I need your guidance. How, how do I avoid going and biting down and have all the consequences flow down on my head? I don't want to go there. If you'll ask the Lord, here's the promise. He'll show you a way out. There is a way out. Oh, and by the way, in addition to the way out, where does Jesus live today through his spirit? Where, where does he live? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Where does he live today? Show me. Oh, right here. So I ask him, and he shows me. He gives me the wisdom and the insight on my, oh, and he'll empower me to say, no, thank you. Nope. Don't, don't need that. Don't want that. I'm going the other direction. So just want you to know that's the critical time. And James says, I don't want you to get all twisted up thinking that God is cheering you on for destruction, just the opposite. The Lord Jesus is saying, 
You can do it in me. Ask me. I'll give you wisdom. I'll show you what to do. I'll show you your way out. And I'll empower you to go that way. And I'm just telling you, lots of us, we get all twisted up and we think Jesus is cheering us on and He's behind the struggle. Lie. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 16. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Listen close. The Lord only gives good gifts to His kids. He, he doesn't give us temptation to destruction. He gives us the way out. He, he gives us the way through and around the trouble. He gives good gifts to His children. He chose you. He loves you. He delivered you. You're a part of His royal family. Think about it. You are the cream of the crop of His creation. That's true for every follower of Jesus Christ. And he gives good gifts, and every good gift that you've ever enjoyed in your life is from the hand of God. So sometimes, the only time we, we think about the Lord is when bad things come, and that's not his hand. He's giving us good gifts, and he's allowing us to grow up. And oh, by the way, he's given us an owner's manual. Life. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth. That's new birth, born again. Jesus gave us new birth through the word of truth. The gospel, the word of truth, comes through, through the Bible. And you and I are first fruits. We, we are the cream of the crop of all that he's created. We're the apple of God's eyes. That's how we need to start thinking about Jesus. He's cheering us on. He's empowered us with His Spirit. He's alive and working through us. So, some of us here today, truth is, we struggle. i got a trial that seems overwhelming. I've got a temptation that I keep giving into. It keeps grabbing all... I keep biting on the hook and in consequences and I'm, I'm starting to feel hopeless and helpless. I think I'm just going to quit. Jesus, you must be mad at me now. You must want me off your team. That's what Satan's whispering. And some of you are believing it. No, James and Jesus have delivered truth. You're going to line up with what God's Word says is true or, or how I feel and the lies I've been listening to in a whisper this last week. Will you trust in a good God who loves you, who wants to let Him he wants to finish this really amazing work He has in your life. He's a good, good Father. And He's out for your good. And all the good gifts that you need and I need are available through Him. Understand? Lots of lies, lots of poor teaching and training out there. And sadly, just like the ones who'd been scattered in James' time, they were buying into that. That's why he had James write this book. They were believing the lies. They were believing the false personal trainers. And, and now James has said, no, no, I, I need to straighten these things out. Jesus is a good, good father to you and me. And he's there for us. And he says, I'm out for your good. Will you let me work in your life? Let's pray. 
Will you let Jesus work? We all have trials of all different varieties. That's the truth. We all have different temptations. And what tempts you probably doesn't tempt me. And what tempts me probably doesn't tempt you. We all have different things on a hook that are drawing our attention. And every time we choose to swim towards that hook and bite, the ugliness of sin rains down on us. Guilt, shame, consequences of all varieties. Now we're condemning ourselves. We're feeling condemned by others around us. People are saying, I thought you were a follower of Jesus. Satan whispers, why would Jesus want a messed up sinner like you on his team? And now that becomes what we're believing and thinking. I've got great news. Ready for some great news? If you know Jesus personally, he's for your good. If you know Jesus personally, he's cheering you on. And if you'll ask next time your temptation, your entangling sin appears, if you'll fire up, Lord, show me my way out, He'll show you. And through His Spirit gives you the power and the strength to not give in, but instead to go the way of victory. And the truth is, when we mess up, when we forget, or choose not to ask, and we, we just go ahead and bite. Here's the amazing thing. He allows second, and third, and 200, and 2,000 chances. Isn't that amazing? That grace. And as we repent, and as we run to the cross and confess, we get clean, and we're back in right relationship with Him. But He's saying, Enough of that old sin, repent, confess, sin, repent, confess. There, there's a better way. Did you know that? In this next week, when your entangling, besetting pet sin comes your way, and it's dangling, and that nightcrawler's looking so good, remember Jesus is cheering you on. You don't, you don't have to give in to sin. If you'll just stop and ask, Lord, show me a way out of this. Show me what your plan is not to go one more time and get hooked and deal with all of the ugly, messy consequences again. Help us, Lord, as uh, we repent, as we confess to choose to do it your way. And pray for my friends. Some of them are in a pretty nasty pattern. Help them to line up their thinking, their behavior, their words with your instruction. Thank you. We praise you. It's glorious to know Jesus and to study your book. It's so practical. Thank you for the book of James. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.